You know when you search for something on Netflix, what you get is only a fraction of what they really have? The streaming service actually has more than 18,000 titles globally, but only about 6,000 of those are available in the good old US of A. That means you're missing out on literally thousands of great shows. Unless, of course, you use ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is an app that lets you change your online location, protecting your devices from unwanted snooping and allowing you to control where streaming services and other websites think you're located. There are over 100 different locations to choose from, which means you have access to thousands of new shows and movies no matter where you live. This doesn't just work with Netflix, it works with Disney+, Hulu, Max, a UK streamer called BBC iPlayer, and more. I was on a work trip in the UK during the final season of Game of Thrones, and I tried logging into my HBO account to watch a new episode, but the technology wouldn't let me because of geoblocking. And I wish I had this app at that moment, because I now realize how incredibly easy it is to work around that problem. Here's a more recent example. It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is not streaming on Netflix in the US, but I just fired up the episode where Dennis tries to have a peaceful mental health day, and technology keeps interrupting his plans. All I had to do was open ExpressVPN, connect to a UK server, refresh Netflix, and the show just popped up. It's super easy. I've also heard good things about that show called Billions, but I've never been a Showtime subscriber, so I've never seen it. But it's actually available right now on Netflix in South Korea, and with ExpressVPN, it took five seconds to switch over and start checking it out. With ExpressVPN, you get high-quality streaming from devices like your phone, laptop, tablet, and TV, and crucially, it protects your privacy and security to keep your information safe from hackers. Stop missing out on great TV and get thousands of new shows with ExpressVPN. We got them to give you all three extra months free when you use our special link, expressvpn.com slash slash film. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slash film to get three extra months completely free. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com slash FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for Tuesday, October 25th, 2022. On today's episode of the show, we're going to gather around the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. My name is Ben Pearson. I'm an editor at SlashFilm.com, and I'm joined on today's episode by Slash Film Editor, Wai Chen Bui. Hey, everyone. All right, HC, let's get into what we've been doing recently. I had a chance to attend Beyond Van Gogh, the immersive experience. Have you heard of these? Uh, I think there are multiple um, Van Gogh-related sort of projection exhibits traveling the country right now. Have you seen any of these? Have you attended any of these by any chance? I've heard of these. And actually, I didn't attend a specific Van Gogh one, but I did go to one of these immersive art exhibits when I was in Paris. Um, And it was just a collection of artists. Uh, It was incredibly cool. You go into a, a giant like warehouse dark room and it's all these art pieces are projected in light across the walls and the floor and you and with music playing and you just kind of sit there and absorb it while 
you're in there. At least that was the experience that I had. I can't remember the name of the one I went to, but is was that the experience that you had with the Van Gogh exp- um, experience? Yeah, yeah. It's almost exactly that. Um, it, it starts out with like you walk past um, several, uh, I guess for lack of a te- better term, like text boards that sort of lay out a little bit of Van Gogh's life. And I thought that part was... Um, was really lacking because it didn't provide enough context. It was very surface level and like didn't really go into the why of any of the decisions that he made or um, the relationships that he had that seemed important. It just sort of like left me feeling like I read the first paragraph of a textbook, you know, like a a history section in the textbook (laughs) or something where it was like, okay, I really need more information here to fully appreciate this because I think, I don't know. I, I don't know much about Van Gogh. I know Starry Night and that's pretty much it, you know, and I'm guessing a lot of people who attend this thing are probably in the same boat and don't are not like art history majors or whatever. Um, so I was hoping for more of a, a full on, uh, you know, not not a full education, but at least more than what I got. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the actual projection technology is pretty cool. Uh, walking into this big uh, warehouse space and yeah, like you said, sort of seeing all these um, these images that you've seen before, like swirling around you and on you in some cases. And, um, you know, th- that stuff is cool. I think th- there's a little bit of uh, of work to be done in terms of like, I think, th- I think it's like 37 minutes is the cycle of time that they have before they start repeating imagery. And you're just supposed to sort of wander around in this room and luxuriate and, and sort of take your time and explore whatever corners you want to. Um, there are some some notes I would have in terms of like when the entire room is representing the same painting, that was really cool because it was sort of like sweep from one side to the other as it transitioned uh, between uh, images. But then in other times, I would say a majority of the uh, experience was like a bunch of different paintings up and on different portions of different walls all at the same time. So you're sort of like standing there spinning around and not able to fully take everything in, in the way that I would have enjoyed. But anyway, you know, it's a a decent enough, uh, kind of like surface level experience. Um, surface level experience. I feel like that's like subtly shady. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, I, I didn't love it, but I thought it was like, you know, there was potential there and there, there's some, there were some moments that were really cool. Like the music was another thing. Like uh, the music was not loud enough. Like I could hear people talking and it just sort of seemed like for this to be called beyond Van Gogh, the immersive experience, I really wanted it to be like, you know, crank up the music to where I'm standing there like full Cameron from Ferris Bueller, like, you know, mesmerized by something like blocking out anything that anyone else is saying and just, you know, able to uh, take in the majesty of this imagery before me. So, um, yeah, you know what? I, I think that for all the flash uh, and excitement of having this sort of immersive projected art experience, um, I do think that sometimes just having static art really does can affect you and be more impactful more so than than all that you know the fancy yeah. technology that all that fancy technology can offer you like um i'm gonna i'm gonna be that person when i was in paris <laughs> yes please um i went to see the the water lilies um series the monet water lily series mm-hmm. uh at the um the lingerie museum and it's just this simple round room where the the art stretches 
in across the room and it's just like this one long like landscape piece of art that's like all these water lilies that have been um, painted by Monet and it's just you sit in the center and even though there are other people there you can just sit there and just like be with the art and it's it's such a it is like an immersive experience more so than I think even some of these you know Mm -hmm. beyond Van Gogh type of uh interactive experiences so you know you don't need to go too crazy with art sometimes yeah i think that's a a good reminder uh you know check out like local museums things of that sort if that's something you're uh you're interested in you don't definitely don't always need the the big flash in the pan kind of thing so Mm So yeah, I saw Beyond Van Gogh, the immersive experience in Jacksonville, Florida, which is near where I live. It's at the NoCo Center. And as of this morning, actually, they just extended it uh, through February 26th of 2023. So uh, if anything that I said maybe tickled your fancy or you're a big like Van Gogh fan and just have to see this for yourself, uh, you can check it out there. Um, what have you been reading recently, HT? Well, you know... Did I tell you about how much I love Rings of Power last time, Ben? I think yes. I did. Yes. And I <laughs> well, caught up and really enjoyed it too. Yeah. The, well, the finale really excited me. Um, and so much so that it reignited my love for Lord of the Rings. And I'll talk a little bit about that later because it, it made, gave me, made me make some questionable choices. But one non-questionable choice I made was that I was so craving that high fantasy that I decided to pick up that uh, Ursula K. Le Guin Earthsea Omnibus that Omnibus that I bought a couple of years ago, or actually I, I got for Christmas a couple of years ago, um, and I had stopped at one of the 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 books in that omnibus, which was the Tales of Earthsea, um, because I'm not a big fan on, of anthology high fantasy, and I was kind of um, not really getting into it. But I picked this one up again. And I was reading Tales from Earthsea, um, and I was just really happy to be in not maybe not Lord uh, Tolkien's world, another fantasy world again. Um, and I love Ursula K. Le Guin's world um, that she builds in the Earthsea novels. Um, and it was so interesting to me going straight from Lord of the Rings to this because while they are both of the high fantasy ilk, they come they have such different opposite approaches really to high fantasy. While Tolkien's works are very embedded in his Christian beliefs and theologies, the Earthsea books, uh, interestingly, have very are very much of the Taoist um, and animist philosophies. Uh, you'll see, you know, if you read them, you're like, oh my God, Star Wars did this. Well, Earthsea did it first, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but it does it without being like vaguely Orientalist, like Star Wars or other um, franchises might be. And I thought that was so interesting. Um, and it was very interesting, especially just kind of seeing the, that very opposite approach to high fantasy while using all those, a lot of those same high fantasy standards that you see, like dragons, like wizards and mages Mm -hmm. and all those things, but how different the approaches are. Like this one is very much about the balance of things um, and that balance of power and also about women's power and how that's rooted in the earth and that kind of thing. I thought that was so, so interesting Um, just, you know, to read and to just kind of think of from a, a, I guess, a big fantasy umbrella well i uh last time you talked about uh ursula k Le Guin, which was probably a couple years ago at this point i mm. i think i bought uh i don't remember what the name of the book is, was at least one of those uh books and it's still sitting on my shelf i've not managed to get to it yet but uh, i remember you speaking very very highly of her and her work and uh, i look forward to hopefully having time one day to dive into that pretty soon i hope you do it's great stuff uh okay what have you been watching recently i've been watching a lot so 
I, I mentioned before my reignited my reignition of love for Lord of the Rings, uh, and I made the the very bad call against my better judgment uh, of watching the Hobbit trilogy. No, and, you know my my judgment initially was right. So the Hobbit was actually one of my favorite books as a kid. I read it uh, so many times and enjoyed it more so than the Lord of the Rings books. Uh, sorry, guys. <laughs> I It was just such this wonderful, um, enchanting, transporting adventure that I've always really enjoyed. Um, and then, you know, I watched the first Hobbit movie in theaters and was so bummed out by it, by what it did to one of my favorite fantasy books uh, was that I was like, I'm not watching any more of these. Lord of the Rings is gone from my life. That was how much I hated that mo- the first movie. Man. Uh, and I decided, you know what? Maybe I'll give it another shot. I just kind of like being in this world. Maybe I'll, I'll just be, be happy to be in that world again. That first Hobbit movie is bad, Ben. <laughs> it's really bad. Yeah, there's so much of like hanging out in Bilbo's house and like mm-hmm. breaking dishes and singing songs. And it's just like, get on with it. Let's yeah. go. I mean, have you ever seen any of those cuts of the trilogy of that trilogy where it's like edited down from the three movies down to like one movie length? I know a bunch of people have done those online. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I haven't seen those, but I know that they exist. And I was like, should I watch that instead? I'm like, no, you want to watch all three in like their two and a half hour run times. <laughs> Jesus. Okay. <laughs> I did it over the course of a week, by the way. I didn't do it all in one night. Um, but I, the thing is, the funny thing is, I, I actually enjoyed those sort of more whimsical, mundane parts, at least when I was reading the books, but they do stretch on forever in the movie. My my issue with the movies was that it just is so serious and somber and tries to make this, you know, whimsical adventure story into this really heavy war movie, which I thought was just so out of line with what I enjoyed out of The Hobbit. Mm-hmm. Um, but I will say, uh, I watched The Desolation of Smog for the first time while during this watch, as well as Battle of the Five Armies. Desolation of Smog, not bad. I actually kind of enjoyed it. Um, okay. Like, I, re- I enjoyed the Lake Town parts. I loved all the parts with, um, sm- with Smog and Bilbo. I thought, like, you know, those riddles and dark stuff – was always fantastic in both the books the animated movie and the, of course in this movie and then it immediately cuts to like stupid video game stuff and you're like god this is so boring yeah. this is so annoying <laughs> um and uh then yeah battle of five armies bad movie i think i spent half a bit cleaning my apartment while i was watching it so yeah man i um, i wiped most of that from my memory i feel like bilbo gets knocked out at one point mm-hmm. and then yeah it's, it's just crazy. like you miss a big chunk of what's going on. You're mm-hmm. like, this entire trilogy has been building to this thing and you're not even showing me the thing because Bilbo got knocked out. I don't yeah. know. I was mad at and it at like, the time. Martin Freeman is one of the best things about this trilogy. Like his casting as Bilbo Baggins is perfect. He's yes. perfect in the role. And it's so it's even more angering, like disappointing to see him wasted like that. And then just to see him like running around doing nothing in the third movie. I'm like, what's the point? <laughs> like, what? why are we all here? Uh, yeah, bad stuff. I remember, uh, is it Legolas himself or is it another elf who's Legolas like is there. running up, oh uh, up that steps so that were like crumbling in, you know what I'm talking about? That, yeah. that There's like a big action scene in the, in the third one where the I steps are falling and he's like running on air, jumping up. And I'm like, all right, we've, we've gone beyond the pale here. <laughs> yeah. This is too much. It's just, it's all like this video game physics. There's no, like one of my favorite things about, about the original Lord of the Rings trilogy, uh, Peter Jackson's films is that it feels grounded. It feels like you're a part of this world. It feels like a world that's been around for millennia. Mm-hmm. And, um, in the Hobbit movies, that's all gone just because it's just, it's become a video game and a video, yeah. video game that you didn't even want to play and that someone else is playing and that you're watching them play. 
<sighs> yeah, bad stuff. Yeah. Anyways, don't watch the Hobbit movies. Maybe watch <laughs> Desolation of Smog. At least, you know, the smog and billow scenes. <laughs> okay. But yeah, I've been um, watching a couple other things. Some, most of them sort of disappointing. Uh, the School for Good and Evil, which is Paul Feig's uh, new YA fantasy movie. It's more of a family film, actually, that recently debuted on Netflix. I gave it sort of a positive review. I found it to be charming. Um, I think a lot of people have making comparisons to Harry Potter, which I think is um, – kind of a mistake to begin with because it feels more like a really silly just like harmless family film very much along the lines of you know have you ever seen sky high ben yes a long time ago it's, yeah it's i for some reason that was a movie that i think of fondly i think i just it just came out the right time when i was sort of a kid like preteen, uh teen and i was like you know this is silly and fun and i'm enjoying it who cares, critics? It gives me very much that same energy. It just is like very silly, kind of slightly subversive, but not that smart. But that's okay. That's what The School of Good and Evil is. A little too long, though. It's like two and a half hours. Does it have like anyone chomping on scenery, get like interesting performances or oh, anything? yeah. You got Charlize Theron chomping on scenery. You got Kerry Washington chomping on scenery. You've got Michelle Yeoh wasted, which is kind of oh. annoying. Um, but at least Charlize is, is having fun. Okay. All right. Well, yeah, it sounds like you could do worse, I guess. You could do um, worse for, well, you know, chop off half an hour. You could do, use, do worse for two hours. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Uh, what else have you been checking out? Uh, another disappointing movie that I saw, Raymond and Ray, uh, which is the new movie starring Ewan McGregor and Ethan Hawke as brothers. Uh, needless to say, I was very excited about this movie because these are two of my favorite heartthrobs from the 90s and early 2000s. Mm -hmm. And uh, they play brothers. And it's just such a waste of both of their talents. Uh, a very baffling movie where there's a lot of baffling choices made on as both a, a screenwriting side and also on the acting side. This movie made me wonder whether Ewan McGregor is a bad actor. That's how oh, strange it is. Yeah, I was like, is he? Is he actually a bad actor? He's very wooden, very awkward, very stilted. Ethan Hawke, at least when he gets very dialogue-heavy scenes, is in his element, but everything else is very strange. Um, so I wouldn't recommend this. This is on Apple TV Plus, but um, that's one I think you can skip. Okay. All right. Um, but you can check out my review on SlashFilm.com. <laughs> Yes, please do. Um, and uh, I also watched Armageddon Time, which is coming out, I think, this week, the new film by James Gray. And I was very, very excited for this. Uh, it's a sort of cinema memoir. It's about his childhood. It's, well, it's more like somewhat based off his childhood growing up in 80s New York. And um, it's good. I wouldn't say I, I, I loved it, but um, it very much is sort of that, that you know, assimilation angst. He's a young Jewish boy growing up in the 80s and have, trying to figure out what his place in life is and who his friends are. He makes a young black friend and he has come to deal with the, the both subtle and overt racism from both his family and his friends. Um, and it's it's very it's the performances are are wonderful. Um, uh, Anne Hathaway is excellent in it, as is Jeremy Strong, um, and Anthony Hopkins, of course. Just mm. I think Anthony Hopkins kind of runs away with this film. He's fantastic. Uh, but a movie that I I didn't love, but I actually the more I come away from it, I, the more I appreciate it. And so I I did quite like it, and that's um, Armageddon Time uh, on theater soon. And then it looks like you finally caught up with a horror movie that you were uh, initially maybe a little too scared to watch. I was a little scared, but 
it was fun. I saw Barbarian, everyone, and it was a blast. I watched it with a bunch of my friends. Um, my friend actually, uh, he works with one of the either distributors or one of the companies that's behind it, and he set up a little screening at his work uh, that for all of us to watch. And uh, it was so much fun. Like it's, you know, it's it's scary in that sort of old fashioned thrills type of way, um, that kind of roller coaster type of scares and that's something that i i really enjoyed watching like it's a really just well-made horror movie which is really exciting to see yes um well-made well-structured great scares um great performances justin long really really well cast in this movie yeah (laughs) absolutely (laughs) um so yeah i i really enjoyed barbarian i won't say any more because it's best if you go in with without knowing anything and that's going to be on hbo max Actually, I think it's streaming on HBO Max now. Yeah, I think like as of last night at midnight or something. Um, The one thing that I'll say, I've talked a little bit about Barbarian before. The one thing that I'll say, HD, in this movie's favor is that sometimes like lower budget movies try to stretch a lot out of the idea of a character walking down a dark hallway and, you know, you not being able to see much. And it sort of feels like a crutch or it just feels like they're trying to uh, gin up tension in a way that that doesn't necessarily feel organic. Barbarian has so many stretches of of movie where characters are walking down hallways, and it's like genuinely like my heart was beating in my chest. I'm like, what could come out of here? This movie, anything could happen in this movie. I love that feeling. Mm-hmm. It really is. I I didn't know where it was gonna go. Like awesome. that one stretch that you're talking about. I know exactly what stretch you are uh, talking about, and I'm like, oh, what's gonna happen? Like, what's? It's great. It's great stuff. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, okay, it sounds like there's one thing that that you've been watching recently that is not great stuff. Unfortunately. Yeah, it's a lot of disappointing stuff lately, uh, Ben. It's kind of sad, but um, the Doctor Who recently aired its centenary special. This was the the um, episode called "The Power of the Doctor," and it's the swan song for Jodie Whittaker's thirteenth Doctor, her final episode in which she uh, has her final battle and regenerates and into a new person uh, who I won't spoil. Actually. I, I won't spoil it for you because, you know, probably ha- maybe you haven't seen Doctor Who or you don't care. Um, <laughs> if you don't care, you probably won't really care about what I have to say because it's a disappointing episode um, and kind of a disappointing era. It's not really it's not totally Jodie Whittaker's fault. She does what she can with the with the what she's given. But what she's been given has kind of been a, a load of crap. Yeah. <laughs> and I say this as someone who's one of the biggest Doctor Who fans. I have not really enjoyed this era um, of as show run by Chris Chibnall um, and starring Jodie Whittaker. I wish that she had better material to work with, uh, but it's been so thoroughly mediocre that I have had trouble really getting excited for Doctor Who. Um, but I look forward to being excited for Doctor Who again because Russell G. Davies, who um, spearheaded the revival for, of Doctor Who back in 2005, is back, as is David Tennant. What? How's that happening? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm excited for that. I'm excited for all the 60th anniversary specials that are going to be happening. I wish that Do- Jodie Whittaker had a better farewell. Very underwhelming um, goodbye, and I'm I'm sorry for her for that. But um, Doctor Who is a show that will continue to sh- soldier on. Um, that's one of the the magic part of the magic of it, and uh, one of its great um, great twists is that it can just rejuvenate itself regenerate you might even say <laughs> amazing all right well i'm going to put a link to uh, tracking through time and space which is the podcast that you do with slash Holmes jacob hall about star trek and doctor who so i'm sure uh i don't know in what however many years you'll have uh you'll get around to the, this point in time and the doctor who timeline yeah so. you probably expect it on 10 years or so <laughs> <laughs> amazing uh okay so i just watched uh, a couple things i rewatched the thing and knives out 
Um, the thing is just like one of my all time favorites and I hadn't seen it in many years now, probably eight or 10 years or something. And it is just like maybe a perfect movie. <laughs> uh, have you seen the thing HC? Is this on your list of shame or have you seen it? It is on my list of shame. I'm so oh, sorry. Man. I have not, I have not seen the thing. I know I should watch it and it's going to be on the list. You know, it's spooky season still. I have time. I know. That's what I was going to say. It's it's October. It's the 25th, but you know, we're getting there uh, closer to, to Halloween. I feel like maybe you could squeeze it in. Uh, it, it's really like it came out in 1982, but uh, aside from the um, like animatronic uh, sort of like creature effects and stuff, which date it, but in a great way, I think um, it just, it feels so modern in, in the, in terms of like the actual storytelling. And I, I won't, I don't need to like, go into a big thing of like what the thing is but um man just john carpenter like working at the absolute peak of his powers just great great stuff so uh highly recommend H. I would love to know what you think about it if you uh if you get a chance to check, check it out we could have like a, like a deep dive conversation about the thing which like you know is it came out a long time ago and it's a classic but i don't really see a ton of people uh talking about it in detail so if you want to do that if after you watch it uh let me know no i'd love to because i've only been i feel like i know so much about it through osmosis there's that x files episode that is kind of like a thing redux have you ever seen this see i i i missed all of the x files so like where our our streams are crossing in the wrong way here i I should just see the original anyways so i will let you know and then we'll talk about it on the podcast awesome uh and then knives out which is was on my top 10 of 2019 when it came out um i think it was number nine on my list i like that movie a lot when it came out but i i felt like it was maybe missing a little something or like I went in with expectations that were maybe a bit too high or like I was hoping for more out of like the the Jaden Martell character, for example, the little like uh, alt-right troll who's like on his phone for the whole movie. I, I kind of expected, I remember going into it thinking like, okay, the, you know, in, in a whodunit like this, there's going to be some sort of like extra twist where this this little kid who is just part of this ensemble is going to have more to do with the story than what he ultimately ended up having so i think i was like not let down because i still love the movie but um slightly like the air came out of the balloon just a little bit uh and then this was my first rewatch of the movie because jacob was talking about it on the podcast not long ago about how he's watched it a hundred times since it came out and it's one of his you know maybe all-time favorite movies now he really really loves it um and i've, I've been looking for an excuse to rewatch it and uh man, it's, it's so good. Like I didn't have any issues with it this time around. And, um, I think it would have jumped up a couple slots, uh, in my 2019 top 10, if, if I would have maybe watched it again or something. Um, but yeah, just great stuff. Like obviously glass onion, the knives out sequel is coming out. Uh, I think it's coming to theaters briefly next month before it comes to Netflix in December. Um, but just, uh, yeah, revisiting it and stepping back into this world and, um, man I, I just i really really like this movie i think it's like one of the best uh modern day whodunits so uh knives out wow. really, really solid. i need to give it a rewatch before glass onion yeah definitely i would highly recommend it i think there's a lot to you know especially once you know the you know sort of the structure of the movie and like exactly how everything plays out watching it again it's it was almost it's, it's not quite like the same thing as watching the sixth sense after seeing the twist and being like having your mind blown at how everything was set up properly but but just knowing the beats um, going back and seeing how well crafted and well constructed everything is, uh, and, and being able to like zero in on the performances in a way that I 
didn't the first time because I was like trying to track who everybody was and what was going on and trying to guess ahead and trying to figure out the movie. Um, you know, it's always just special to sort of settle back in and just like lean back a little bit and watch, like absorb a movie uh, like that after you know sort of where it's going to go. So um, really enjoyed that experience of rewatching Knives Out. Uh, what I did not enjoy was immediately like the next night, I think watching uh, Death on the Nile, the <laughs> movie, which somehow came out this year. HD, it feels like, way. yeah, it came out, like it came out in 2022. Like <laughs> I know. I think it, I want to say it was shot like in 2017, 18, something. I have no idea. 2019, I guess. But, um, but it was delayed so much for the pandemic and everything that they finally uh, released it earlier this year, which yeah, feels forever ago when it came out in February of this year. Um, I remember hearing a lot about this movie about how Gal Gadot was like legendarily terrible in it. <laughs> and, uh, and there's the, the army hammer of it all, which of course we don't need to get into here. You can look up anything about that if you're curious. Um, I hated this movie. HJ. I think this is like one of the worst, uh, the worst looking, um, you know, big budget movies. I think it costs like $90 million or something. And it looks like the entire thing was filmed on green screen, except for, you know, three or four on location shots, uh, like establishing shots of, of the river Nile. <laughs> and um, man, it just, it looks terrible. None of the performances worked for me. Uh, it, what did you think I, of the origin story for the mustache? Man? I mean, totally unnecessary. Like I, I, I remember that was hearing the funniest that, thing. It's like this <sighs> black and white flashback, and it's like this grim war flashback. Yes. And he and um uh Kenneth gosh, Branagh. Yeah, Kenneth Branagh, uh Poirot, he gets his face blown off, and then you're like, Wow, what's gonna happen? Like, what's the the meaning behind this flashback? And then you're like, he's like, Oh, you can you can grow a mustache to cover that scar. It's the origin of the and then it and then it like smash cuts to black and the titles scene like the the uh, titles come up like the Chiron for the titles and I'm like what was the tone supposed to be in this moment like is this so a bizarre. moment where Kenneth Branagh is hoping that the audience laughs a little or sort of nods and says like ah yes that's clever like there are so many little what are supposed to be jokes throughout this whole movie where I I did not laugh at all and my wife and I just like looked at each other several times throughout the film and we're just like what is this like what what is the tone yeah um yeah I I man I and the music choice where it's like there's uh like I don't know 1930s blues music or something um playing throughout the whole thing and there's a, a moment where characters are supposed to be singing live for other characters on the boat but it the music actually sounds like it's coming through like a scratchy old phonograph, but the camera is showing them actually singing live in the room. And it's like, that's not what it sounds like when people sing in person. Kenneth Branagh, what are you doing? You're breaking my brain with this movie. So uh, I don't know. I, I was, it was like not even um, fun really to watch it because it was just so bad. It was so dull. And uh, I read the book and, and enjoyed the book, um, the Agatha Christie book on which it's based, but Man, the, the movie version of Death on the Nile. The the real reason that I watched it, H.E., was because they just announced that a sequel is coming out, A Haunting in Venice. And I obviously just went to Venice. So I was like, oh, man. And it's set like around Halloween, I think. Um, and I was like, ah, maybe if they go to Venice, I'll be more interested in seeing this one. Maybe I should watch Death on the Nile just to sort of like catch up in the, with the Poro universe to make sure I don't miss anything. But uh, I feel like anybody can just skip Death on the Nile. If that's uh, if you feel any sort of sense of obligation at all, please uh, let my sacrifice you know buy you some free time in your life because uh, <laughs> you definitely don't need to watch Death on the Nile at all. Um, 
Okay. And then uh, the last thing I watched was uh, Triangle of Sadness, which is uh, Ruben Ostlin's um, most recent movie. He's the director of films like Force Majeure, and uh, he did The Square as well. Um, did you see Triangle of Sadness, Aishi? I did. I saw it at New York Film Fest, and I did enjoy it. I know that – I think that you're mixed on it, Ben. Yeah. I mean, I, there are parts of it that I – I really like the opening. Um, that this is, I guess it's fair to say this is a movie in three acts, and I liked the first and third act a lot. Uh, and the second one – which if you've seen the trailer, I don't think I'm really spoiling anything. This movie's been out for, uh, has it been out for a little bit? Yeah, it came out like early October, I guess. Um, so I'm not going to like spoil anything huge. But if you've seen the trailer for this movie, you know that like a lot of it takes place on a boat and, uh, you know, characters are like vomiting all over the place. And it's a real sort of like gross out uh, section of the movie. Um, that lasts a long time. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's certainly a choice. Like they're really dialing it up there and like, at a certain point, it just feels like um, like they're beating a dead horse almost with trying to to make the the points that he's trying to make. It just sort of feels like okay, we we got it after five minutes, and we don't need like an extra twenty of the same type of uh, high wire zany tonality um, to really like underline what you you've already you know the point you've already made. But I really like how it starts out this sort of um, focused nature on this male model and his uh, Instagram star influencer girlfriend. And the relationship dynamic there, I, I thought that was like fairly well done. And then the um, the third act after the boat stuff, I thought the movie gets really, really interesting. That's where it gets the most fascinating to me. And I, I liked um, everything it did after that point. So I, I'm, I came away mixed, um, but I liked more of it than I didn't because I liked two thirds of it, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but what do, what do you think about it? You said you liked it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was very funny, very sharp. Um, yeah, the, the middle half, the middle part does go on for quite a bit. And I'm not a big fan of scatological humor. So I was <laughs> like really suffering through that. Yeah. But I think that it, it it was, it's the kind of movie that would beat you over the head with what it's trying to say, which is, you know, eat the rich, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I was kind of like, yeah, I was, I was on board for that. Um, I, I kind of had to look away at some points where I was just like, this is too much. But I do, I am actually quite a big fan of that last third too, which I know a lot of people aren't. Like, oh, really? Most people hmm. are say that's like when it kind of goes off the rails. And I don't think that's the case at all. I think that it's such an interesting inversion of all the dynamics going on the, the yeah. first two thirds that I think it kind of brings it all home. So yeah, it is a little obvious, but I think, like you said, that the whole movie is kind of that. So I think by that point, I was like ready for. I, I was understanding that he wasn't going to do anything like super subtle, and I was just ready for the tonal shift that mm-hmm. happened. And and I appreciated how it sort of like upended everything that you expected up until that point. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I really enjoyed it. I wouldn't say it's my favorite of the Oslin movies. Like Force Majeure, I think is is fantastic. It's so yeah. so good. Um, but uh, I I I did think it was. <laughs> It was fun. It was it was very funny and gross out and uh, pitch black. Yeah, the the sound design in that sequence where uh, that long <laughs> section where everybody's just throwing up like oh uh, disgusting. Uh, yeah, really gross, but like also like kind of well done. Like I mean, to the point where I was like. I'm not that type of person who like sees vomit and immediately throws up himself, but just, um, you know, the, the grossness, like the gurgling and all the mm-hmm. sound effects and everything. I was like, man, some, some sound editor somewhere 
picking through a library or like doing Foley, uh, Foley noises for this, um, Foley sound effects and stuff. Like somebody probably had a lot of fun, uh, working on that, that gross sure. section in the middle. So, uh, yeah, triangle of sadness. It, I think it's, it's, there's more to recommend there than just, um, what the trailer might have you to, uh, what, what the trailer might lead you to believe. So, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's, it's probably worth watching even if you, um, don't particularly care for super gross stuff. Cause that's only one third of the movie. So, um, okay, yeah, I think that's going to do it for today's episode of Slash Home Daily. You can find more about all the movies and, and stuff that we mentioned on today's show at slashhome.com and linked inside the show notes for this episode. Slash Home Daily is published every weekday, bringing the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find on the site. You can subscribe to the show on Apple, Google, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps. You can subscribe to our newsletter, with which uh, Chris Evangelista runs. Uh, I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes as well. Uh, you can send your feedback, questions, comments, concerns, and mailbag topics to us at peter at slashhome.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. Tell your friends, spread the word. Thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you tomorrow. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working... The HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.